after the next. They are etched into the hard, cold earth as one person follows another, each traveler doing a small part to make the way clear for those who come behind. Each person's journey imprinted on the landscape. But then, someone bravely steps off the trail and explores in a new direction. He looks for a new adventure, and his daring beckons others to follow. And step after step, a new trail is formed. Yes, the old trail remains. The paths formed over countless years by numerous travelers. Forgotten? Maybe. Grown over? Perhaps. Yet still so important. These paths tell a story. These paths point the way. These paths lead to places where we need to go. These paths lead to a God that we need to know. These paths are the ancient paths. Life Trails, take your next step. As we um, look look back at the past, you see some of these people that just refused to, to accept the status quo and just went off in, in new directions, and how much it's changed even the trajectory of our faith. So we talk about a, a guy like a couple of weeks ago, like St. Patrick, or we talk about John Calvin even this morning, but sometimes we don't even have to go that far back into our past to find people who have gone off in, in new directions. And for this month, it's been um, Black History Month in, in our country, and uh, hopefully that has meant something to you. And we've actually published some, about 20 different articles that came out of Christianity Today. They are on the table in the lobby. You can pick those up. You can take them with you if you'd like. You can sit down and read them in the cafeteria. And, uh, but again, people who have gotten off the, the same old, same old and said, you know what, I'm going to blaze a new trap, and I'm going to go in a, new, uh, in a new direction here. And I'm inspired by those people, and I want to be one of those people. And so when we talk about the race relations in our country, I don't want to just sit on the sidelines and do nothing about it. I want to be in the middle of that, and I want to do what I can to be a part. And as we've, we've shared even this morning what's going on in Ukraine, I don't want to sit here and think, oh, that's too bad. I, I, want, to, I want to grieve with those who grieve. And I want to be involved, and I want to do a part. And I want to invite you to do that, too. And we talk about $50 for a, for a refugee family. Can you imagine what these people are going through right now? That they just packed up what little bit they need and thrown it in a car that will hopefully make it to the border that will hopefully get through a border. Unbelievable. And yeah, as Mark mentioned, some of those are our Christian brothers and sisters. And when the body hurts, we all hurt. So I'm just reminded of that even as we look at this um, theme here of ancient past. People who have made a difference. Let's be those people. And it doesn't have to be some big heroic thing. It's just where we decide that we're going to do something because we're not just going to sit and watch. Because I don't want to be a watcher. I want to be a walker. And I'll walk those ancient paths, and I'll walk whatever paths. So that wasn't really my planned introduction. That's just what's kind of on my heart as I've sat here this morning. But we want to talk about these ancient paths, and so let me just transition into this and ask you a question here this morning. 
just unrelated to what I just said, but if you had to pick one book in your life that has had the most impact on you, what book would you pick? Now, I realize the obvious answer is, well, I'm going to pick the Bible, right? And so, okay, because we're in church, and, and that's what we're supposed to pick here. Like, the answer is Jesus, whatever the question is on Sunday mornings. But if you set the Bible aside just for a moment, what book would you pick that's had the most influence on you in your life? Let me just give you a few seconds to think about that. But as you're thinking about that, I want to know why that book has also had influence on your life. What was it about that book that was different from every other book that you're like, hmm, and it sticks with you as you go? This book right here is the book outside of the Bible, I would say, that's had the most impact on my life. It's written by a guy that I've never met. His name is Jerry Bridges. It's the book called Transforming Grace, and I have no idea how this book came into my possession. It used to have a nice, bright-colored um, paper wrap around it. I, I've destroyed that now. But this book, um, somebody gave it to me, or I picked it up at a store or whatever, and I started reading about the idea of grace. And I'd heard about grace my entire life, and I never really understood what grace meant. And that concept in this book absolutely transformed my thinking, and it transformed my life. But what is the book that you chose? And maybe it wasn't even a religious book. I don't know. But why does that book have that kind of influence on you? What is it that makes it sticky? What is it that lodges it in your head or maybe even in your heart and makes it go with you? Because for all of us, books that transform us aren't books that we pick up and put down and walk away from and just completely forget about. There are books that somehow get into us and stay with us and stick with us and go with us on our paths. But isn't that really what the Bible is supposed to do? Isn't the Bible not just supposed to be something that we kind of pick up, put down, walk away and forget about, but it's something that's supposed to be sticky, that keeps us focused, that, that captures our attention that walks with us as we go down the path of life? And how can we make it that way? I mean, you've had this experience. I've had this experience. In fact, we have this experience often, right? I get up in the morning and I'm like, okay, I have this habit of quiet time or daily devotions or whatever you happen to call it, God and I, different names, spiritual disciplines, all these different terms out there. But you sit down, you go through it, and, and maybe you just read your Bible or maybe you use something like the Daily Bread or maybe you're using something off the, the YouVersion app and you do your 15 or five or whatever minutes and you close it and you think, okay, God, I pray and I, and I go on my way and it's gone. And the next morning, I come back, and I sit down, and I don't even remember what I read the, the day before. And sometimes, I, like, I read sometimes chronologically by date, and I'm like, did I read this passage yesterday or not? I don't even remember. And it has no impact on us. So how does the Word of God actually get to where it impacts us and sticks with us? Well, we're going to go back to the ancient past and try to answer that question. So please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're just going to do something a little bit different today. And we're going to look at, at one verse. And we are running behind today, so we're just going to be a little bit late. So, uh, Bill, if you can let people downstairs know, we're just going to be a little bit late today because there's no way that we're going to get through this in time. But as we look at this 
verse here. We're just going to read one verse. I seldom do that, but I want to give you some context before we read this verse. The book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul to the people who lived in a town called Colossae. What's interesting about this book is Paul did not start this church. It was started by a guy by the name of Epaphras, who evidently was a friend and associate of, of Paul. And Epaphras came to where Paul was and told him about this church, and so Paul wrote a letter back. We don't think that Paul actually even went and visited this church. So this is a letter that Paul writes to complete strangers. Now, it's actually a letter that was probably written about the same time as Ephesians, and if you compare the two, they're very, very similar because he's probably in the same space, headspace even, when he wrote these letters. The first part of the letter is doctrinal, and then he gets into practice in the second part of the letter. And we're in the second part of the letter here where Paul is given a bunch of instructions on here's what you're supposed to do. Here's how you're supposed to live. These are practices that you need to follow. And then he gets down to verse number 16, and he says this, and he totally switches gears. And we'll put it up here on the screen, I think. He says, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, notice there how it starts. Let the message of Christ dwell in you. He's been giving all these instructions of here's what you're supposed to do that are very active voice. And then he steps back here more passively and says, now, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, this is from the New International Version. This is not actually a great translation from this verse. In fact, if you want to get one of the best translations of this verse, you have to step back in time a little bit to the ancients, to the King James Version. And this is how this reads. Let the word of Christ, we're talking about the, the Bible here, and we're talking about Christ's actual words, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And if you want, especially if you have the U version there on your phone or tablet, you can flip back and forth between those translations to see the difference in how they're laid out. But I want to follow this verse today, laid out as King, the King James translators actually did this. And as we do so, I want to start with a claim. And I want to start with a claim that I'm going to back up. But here's what the claim is. We must be filled with the word to be formed by the word. And we've been talking about this idea of spiritual uh, formations. And when I talk about spiritual formations, we've actually drawn a line of distinction that may not be there. But I'm going to mention it again here this morning. We have something that we call discipleship and we have something we call spiritual formation. And they're... They're very integrated, very much the same thing. But we've separated them out. And we said that discipleship is this idea of following Christ. These are the things that we're supposed to do. The practices, the, the daily living things. Here's where I obey Christ by following Christ. And we've said this is discipleship. And then we've used this other term, spiritual formation, to talk about how our character is formed to become like Christ. So this is the doing side, and this is the being side. And there, I'm not trying to make a big issue here. I'm just trying to get us to take a little bit different view sometimes on what the Holy Spirit is actually doing in our hearts. And so let's walk through this verse. Let me just point out four things that I think will be helpful to us here this morning. The first one is this. It is that the word of Christ is to take up residence in our hearts. You know how we approach the Bible, and I can't get this clicker to work. There it goes. 
as we approach the Bible, and I've already mentioned this, we often approach the Bible as something that we go to and we pull something out of it and we go on our way. It's like a, a self-help book or a God-help book. And so I, I grab in the morning, I dive in, I pick this up and, and I go, or, or maybe I've got an issue and I'm really trying to research it, so I go find a passage that talks about that and then I go on my way. Or, or sometimes I just go in and I get some knowledge and so I can add to my, my Christian, uh, um, you know, what I know about God. And, and we give it our, our five or 10 or 15 minutes and then we move on. And we talk about quiet times or doing devotions. And we talk about some version of this. We sit down for a few minutes at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day. And we do our devotions. We sit down with our Bibles, sometimes with a study guide. We pray for a few minutes. We check off a box in our minds. Or maybe it already checks off on the app that you're using. Maybe we answer a question or two. Maybe we write down a thought. We go on our way and we pretty much forget about what we have read. But we feel good about ourselves. Because we've gone through our spiritual routine and we've obeyed that verse that tells us to have daily devotions. Which, if anybody knows where that verse is located, please let me know. Because it doesn't exist. We're instead told to let the word of Christ dwell in us. And what does that mean? It means instead of getting into the word, we need to let the word get into us. Instead of getting into the Word, we need to let the Word get into us. Now, obviously, if the Word's going to get into us, we have to get into the Word. But we change our thinking, we change our approach, because the Word of God takes up residence. That's what that means. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you, live in you, take up residence in you. It's not just a 15-minute in the morning, here's what I do. It's a 24-hour, this Word of Christ actually lives in me. It fills my heart. It fills, with my it fills my mind. And I actually sit and soak in it. And I love that first word there, let. Allow this to happen. The idea is that I sit with the Word of God and let it surround me, overtake. It's, instead of getting sprayed off with a spiritual hose, it's like sitting in the spiritual hot tub. When we let the Word of Christ dwell in us. And then we're told this, that the word of Christ not only takes up residence, the word of Christ comes with richness. And that's not a word that we would use necessarily, you know, uh, richly as an adverb. It talks about wealth, though, in quantity. And this is what this word, even in the original language, it, the, the word of Christ comes with, with all of this. Whatever this is, it's the blessing of God. And it also, though, talks about not just quantity, it talks about quality. But it's like, yes, God brings all these blessings in their very real blessings. But the idea is, as we sit in the word, that, that it surrounds us with all of these things that we would really desire for our soul. And we sit there with rest, and we, we sit there with um, I can say comfort, but, but, but in a good way, assurance, maybe it would be a better way to say that. But as we, the word of Christ comes to us, as we can sit and we can savor it and we can soak in it. And this is what God's desire is for us. And this is how we should approach the Bible then is I'm going to wait until I experience the riches rather than just you know, grabbing it like a quick bag of chips and going off and on my way. Thirdly, the word of Christ, then, the, this verse tells us, is to come with far-reaching results. The word of Christ dwells in us richly so that we can have wisdom. And this is where the, the King James lands that better. 
The word of Christ brings us wisdom. That means so that I'm thinking differently. That means that so as I'm dealing with my life issues, I'm going to be dealing with them better. That means as I'm dealing with relationships, I'm going to deal with them better. And why is that happening? It's because the word of God is so much a part of my mind, so much a part of my heart, that that's, that's influencing the way that I am conducting my life. And so it comes with wisdom, but it doesn't stop there. It comes with wisdom that's supposed to help us Teach and admonish others. And that doesn't mean that, that you need a chair and a table or a podium to teach. It means that as you have relationships in your life, you have this word of Christ that dwells within you that you can share with other people. All the way from sharing the gospel, here's what it means to know Jesus Christ, to sharing with other believers to say, this is how I've learned or what I've learned from the scripture that can be helpful to you. And as the word of Christ becomes part of us, it becomes part of our conversation and it becomes part of our relationship and it becomes part of what we share with the world. And then he goes on and says with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, which talks about a little method we're going to talk about in just a minute here. And by the way, those would not be the hymns and the songs that we sing. It might be the psalms, but those would just be um, classifications that, that fit way back then. We don't have any of those songs today that I'm aware of from the New Testament. But then the last thing is this. The Word of Christ necessitates reflection. And I think this is something that's missing for most of us when we approach the Word of God. We seldom slow down. In fact, if you sit in your house and you're quiet in the morning and you're doing your, your, your quiet time, and I have this experience in my house, I'll be sitting there completely quiet, and all of a sudden I hear the tick, 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 tick of the clock in the background. And there's something about that tick, tick, tick that just keeps us moving, and it's like, okay, i got to hurry up and get done with this, because, man, i got a lot of things coming in my day. But if we're going to deal with the word of Christ or dwell with the word of Christ and have the word of Christ dwell in us, we need to slow down. We need to chew on it. We need to contemplate on it. We need to memorize. We need to meditate. We need to turn this from a snack into a full-course meal. And I think that was the practice of the early church. Now, we've talked about these ancient paths and paths that we want to go back to. And, and last week, we talked about the path of worship. We talked about the, the, the path of, of coming together corporately. We talked about the path of liturgy. But we talked about it from a corporate standpoint. And we usually think about the Word of God then when we talk about that. No, that's more of a personal practice. Church is a corporate practice. The Word of, uh, of Christ is a, is, is a personal practice. But I think in the early church, it was actually a corporate practice. Because think about this. They didn't have copies of the scripture. Why did they go into the synagogue? In fact, we actually see that with Jesus. He would stand up and would read from the scriptures. Why? That's where they were located. They were located in the synagogues. They were located at the temple, the, the different places where they met to worship, and somebody would stand up front and would actually read the scripture, and that's how they took in the scripture. They couldn't, like, you know, can I borrow that scroll because I'm going to take that home this week and that's what I'm going to do my devotions from. There was nothing going on like that. And so they had to come together corporately so that they could actually have the word of Christ, have the word of God dwell in them. And so let me just walk you through some of the history here of the scriptures. And I'm going to do this super, super, super fast. The only way that they had to interact with the scriptures was to come together corporately and have the scriptures read. The other thing that they did, and it fits in with that verse, is they would sing. 
But a lot of, evidently, a lot of the words to those songs were teaching doctrine, maybe even scriptures, and that's another way that it could go with them. You know how a song can get in your head? And that would be the idea. We take this melody and we take this truth with us. But they didn't have those scriptures, and the early church didn't have them either. And so when we talk about the ancient paths of going back to early religious uh, Bible reading traditions, there aren't many there because they just didn't exist. But what happened here, here's the, just the quick history of how, of how it went. As the church grew and Christianity grew and went to different parts of the world, people needed access to the scriptures. And as it went to different people groups, they needed access to the scriptures in different languages. One of the first people who actually got excited about this and did something about it was a guy by the name of Jerome. And Jerome gathered the, the Greek uh, scriptures and he, and he translated them all into the Roman language, which was Latin. And he did this over the course of 20 years. He actually added the, the Old Testament in. And this became known as the Latin Vulgate. Maybe you've heard that term. And the Latin, the Latin Vulgate became the, the source scripture for the church, and it actually for like centuries, decades, millennia, and it was, be, it, was, it was designed to make the Bible accessible to people in their language. In fact, the word vulgate, we have an English word that's called vulgar, and we, when we talk about that, the, the, the actual meaning of that word means common. So the Latin Vulgate was the translation of Jerome into the common language of the day. And that became the go-to text. And so there were some copies made, and the copies were distributed. The problem was not everybody read Latin, understood Latin. In fact, a lot of people didn't even read. And so the church became the sole place where you could go and you could hear that read. But as time went on and the centuries went on, people knew less and less Latin, but the church kept doing that, and people were lost. Come to church, they have no idea what people are talking about. Like, hmm, that doesn't make any sense to me. And they were just, I don't get it. And so eventually, other people started to translate this. And we, we see some people translating this, but the church didn't want them translating it because it gave all the power to the people who could read the Latin and who held the book. In fact, in 1229, they made a decree that you could only, only the clergy could have the Bible. Only the pastors, the ministers, the priests, whatever, could have the Bible. The common people couldn't. And when some of these translations started happening, though, people started to get them and started to read them and said, hmm, this doesn't strike square up here. And so things start to move. One of the early translators was a guy by the name of John Wycliffe, who lived way back in the 1300s. And he translated the Latin Vulgate into English, or it may have been the original scripts, I'm not sure there. But he caused such a stir that 30 years after his death, they, they charged him with 260 counts of heresy. They dug up his bones, they burned them, and they threw his ashes out on the river because he translated the scriptures into the common language of man. But more and more uh, translations were made, and then in 1560, the big deal came along, and that was the Gutenberg printing press. Gutenberg, actually, the Gutenberg Bible was, was a translation of the Latin Vulgate, but now we could get multiple copies out to people and all of a sudden people could start to read the Bible in their own language and the Bible wasn't held at the church somewhere. It was actually in homes. The Geneva Bibles in 1560 what was printed. That was what's known as the Bible of the Reformation. Actually, the guy who printed that or translated that was a brother-in-law of John Calvin that we just talked about earlier. In 1611, the King James followed. We just read a version of that as part of our scripture here this morning. By the 1900s, 
Lots of translations were going on, and by today, if you have a version app on your phone, you can dial up about 30 or more than that uh, at your fingertips super easily. Back in 1735, though, to back it up just a little bit, something else happened. An English publisher by the name of William Rayner produced the first family Bible. In 1791, another guy came along by the name of Isaiah Thomas, and that really was his name. But he um, added family history pages to this Bible, and this became a big thing that families would purchase these Bibles, and they'd keep their family history and records on those pages at the front. And if you were somebody, every, I mean, you bought one of these Bibles, and they would sell them door to door like encyclopedias. And you would get your Bible, and you would set that up in the parlor of your house, and it, it was like a decoration piece, and it was a big deal. Churches got into this too, and like uh, the, uh, the big pulpit Bible became a thing. And this is actually a pulpit Bible that we think... I don't know if there's any way to prove this one or not, was the actual first pulpit Bible of this church and uh, was used back in 1869 and read from the pulpit, which is absolutely incredible to think about. Now today, though, we all have our Bibles that sometimes look like this, but usually our Bibles look like this, which is a good thing because we have incredible access to this, and sometimes it's a bad thing because we've lost a little bit of our awe and reverence and a little bit of the mystique of the Bible. And so we have this access to the Bible. The problem is the Bible doesn't always have access to us. And if we're going to dwell, or we must dwell in the Word if the word is to dwell in us. And all the access in the world doesn't make a bit of difference if we never take the time to let the word of Christ dwell in us. And so I'm going to mention four things here super quick, and then we're going to do an, exper we're going to do an experience, I'm going to call it this morning here, of letting the word of God dwell in us. Here's some ways that we can let the word of God dwell in us. First of all is by slowing and sinking. Sometimes the Word of God doesn't really speak to us. The Word of Christ doesn't speak to us because we haven't slowed down enough that we could actually hear something. Our minds are going like this. Our hearts are going like this, the stress, whatever. Sometimes we just need to slow down and we need to sink and say, okay, I don't need to be in a hurry here. In fact, maybe God's going to wait for me to slow down before he has something that he's going to say to me through his Word. And we need to slow down and we need to sink and we need to take a little bit more time. And we need to realize that this part of our lives, the eternal part, the spiritual part, doesn't need to be rushed. In fact, if we'll slow down here, sometimes we're like, oh, I won't have time to get everything else done that I need to get done. Well, maybe you don't need to get it done in the first place, and maybe God will help you get it done because you've taken the time to slow down and you've taken the time to sync with him. Here's the second thing. We need to practice silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. We have so much noise in our world, and we have so much noise in our lives, and we're addicted to noise, aren't we? I mean, we, we've got it going all the time. We've got the TV on in the background, or we've got headphones in, or we've got the car radio going. There's nothing wrong with any of that, except for the fact we've lost silence and solitude. And sometimes when God wants to speak to us and the Word of God wants to speak to us, we can't hear it because we've got so much noise in our lives. And if we're going to experience spiritual formation, we may need to find silence, silence and solitude. We may even need to take some time and get some retreat. You may just say, yeah, maybe you can't take an hour every day, legitimately, to have some time with the Word. But maybe you could take an hour every week. 
You say, I'm going to set aside this hour where I can just be with the word and slow down and listen. Or maybe you just need to take a day and say, I'm going to get out of here and, and grab a Bible and grab a journal and whatever and just go someplace and sit. But to have some silence and solitude and to move into a place where we could actually hear God speak. Thirdly, lingering and meditating. Pausing to think, to consider, to ponder, to just digest and, and, and to read something and say, what does that mean? How, do, how does that fit with what's going on in my life? How does that fit with this going here or maybe something going on elsewhere in Scripture? You know, this is a great thought. I want to I keep thinking about all the implications of this. Maybe I'm even going to memorize this verse, or maybe I'll put it on a, on a sticky note or an index card or whatever, because I don't, want to, I don't want to just walk away from this. I want to linger here, and I want to take this with me. And then finally, listening and reflecting. I'm a big journaler, and you don't have to be a journaler, but one of the reasons I like to journal it's because I like to write down, here's what's going on in my head and my heart as I'm reading the Bible here and as I'm praying. But it's just the idea, I need that to focus because I am so all over the place. If I don't do that, I'm like reading something and I can't even, you know, like, oh my gosh, I just read four verses. I have no idea what they just said. But, but I did think about that appointment I have at 10. But we need to slow down, listen, and reflect. But all of this depends on extending our exposure to the word. And I'm not sure that we can do that if we just use our devotional model where we dive in real quick and dive back out. And I'm not opposed to that. It's great, okay? And it does give you a breath that's really important to you. But sometimes we just need to stop and slow down. And we need to soak in the richness and experience the formation of Scripture. Well, I want to wrap up this morning by doing an exercise. And as we look back into the ancients, there is one practice that we can still do today. It's called the Lectio Divina. Has anybody ever heard that term, the Lectio Divina? A lot of times it's associated with the Catholic Church. That's fine. Um, it, there's a lot of practices out there that I would call our neutral practices that we can still take and still use. And so we're actually going to do this today. Not exactly. This is inspired more by the Lectio Divina than it actually is exactly how the Lectio Divina works. But the idea here is that you take Scripture and you go through it several times. And every time you approach it a little bit different way. And so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to go through a Scripture. And it is in Psalm chapter 18. You can follow along if you'd like or you can just let me read it. And I've chosen this scripture this morning because with all that's going on in our world, I think we need to hear this. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through this three times. And the first time that we go through it, I just want you to listen, or if you want to read along, that's fine. I just want you to listen and just to get your head around what this scripture says. Then we're going to read through it a second time, and I'm going to give you some different instructions that second time. And then we're going to go back through it a third time. And then we're done with that. We're just going to wrap up the, the service here, I think, in something that will be meaningful to us this morning. But I'm reading from Psalm 18, 21 to 32. And just listen. And if it's easier for you to just close your eyes, that's fine. Relax yourself. Try to get in the space mentally and even spiritually where God can speak to us through his word. Psalm 18. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. 
All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of hands and his, my hands in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. To the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but you bring low those who are haughty. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is a God beside the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It's God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. And now we're going to read this again, the exact same verses a second time. But this time, I want you to just listen for a word or a phrase, could even be a verse or a thought, that just sticks out to you. It's like that catches your mind or maybe that like pricks your heart here a little bit. And, and again, if it's easier to, to close your eyes, that's fine. But just be listening for that word or phrase. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the devious you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all those who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength. And keeps my way secure. And so the question there is, what was the word, or what was the phrase, or what was the thought that stuck out to you? And we're going to read through this one last time this morning. But before we do, I want to encourage you to pray. Just 10, 15, 30 second prayer here. And ask God to actually speak to you through his word teach you something, to remind you of something, but ask him to use his word to say something to you this morning. And so we'll give you a few minutes to make that prayer, and then I'll read through it one last time here. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble. 
but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all those who take refuge in him. For who is a God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The instructions here are to let the word of Christ dwell in us. And when the word of Christ dwells in us, it changes us and it forms us. And we experience this spiritual formation that we've been talking about. And we've just done a simple little exercise. You could make up anything like this on your own. But the idea is to actually give some time and some space to God's word so that it can do its work in our heart. And I'm wondering as we're here, if maybe even you just need to make a simple commitment. Okay, God, this week I'm going to set aside half an hour or an hour. Or maybe it's I'm just going to extend the time that I spend daily. Or maybe I haven't even read my Bible. I'm going to start reading my Bible. What is the decision and the step that you need to take? Because we can use the ancients here who were so committed to the word that they would listen to it and memorize it, even put it into songs that they need to so they could take it with them because the goal is to take it with us. If you're here this morning, you don't even have a relationship with God, and this is all very foreign to you. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that, to tell you how Jesus came so that you could have that really shape, how he died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven. If you just invite him into your life, he would give you that friendship, that relationship with God. You could be one of his children. It's a simple conversation prayer you can have right where you sit. Dear Father, you have given us this word, Jesus. It is your word, the word of Christ. I pray that it would form us this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two things, and then we're going to conclude the service. First of all, if you don't typically use the growth guide that we publish, you can use the QR code at the bottom of the back page of the bulletin, or you can use the U version. You can find us on the Waterford Community site there. It's set up this week to walk you through one passage of Scripture the entire week. And there's three different passages you can choose from. And each day it encourages you to approach that Scripture in a different way. And so I want to challenge all of you to take a look at that and to actually try that so that the Word of Christ can dwell in us. And then what we're going to do this morning is this is a video that I came across actually this morning. And I appreciate everybody making this work. I'm going to show you a video from Ukraine of a family this week singing a song. It's a modern hymn, recently written, but it has a hymn feel that I've never heard before. And I said something to Chris this morning. I said, you ever heard this song? He said, yeah, and start singing it. So we're going to watch about a 30-second video taken from Ukraine from a family right there singing this song in their language. And then Chris is going to lead us in that song as we finish. And after that, we'll be dismissed. Amen. 